we're in a daily, we're engaged in a daily, constant battle with the Satan and the evil forces. But God tells us that we must stand our ground. We must stand firm and be well-equipped and well-armored with the armor of God, just as Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, two weeks ago, we started the specifics. We started specifically talking about each piece of the armor. We talked about the belt of truth, and if you wasn't here, the belt of truth is God's truth. It's knowing God's word. It's knowing God's truth. It's the base, it's the foundation, it's the standard. Last week, we dove into the breastplate of righteousness. And it was that righteousness that is imputed in us at the day of our salvation. And it's that righteousness that covers our heart and protects our heart. And this evening, we're going to look at the third piece of armor. Like I said, we're going to go over the shoes of the gospel of peace. So hopefully, before you guys leave, you'll get a better understanding about how to wear the shoes. What are the shoes? And putting our shoes on in this daily, constant battle against Satan. So if we look our, up our memory, or I'm sorry, our summary tonight... It's going to be having our feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel peace allows us to be ready to share God with others at all times. As Christians, we should always be prepared as we never know when an opportunity may rise to share the good news of the gospel with someone else. Now, our scripture memory is going to be coming from Philippians. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, Don't worry about anything, but in prayer and petition. Some translations may say supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the six pieces of armor. On the left-hand side is the pieces that we should be putting on daily. The belt of truth, the breastplate. Tonight, we're going to go over the shoes. On the right-hand side is what we take up as needed. And after tonight, the last three sessions are going to be against, or on them. The shield of faith the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now, we're going to be talking about shoes. And shoes plays an important role in our lives. We've got so many kinds of shoes. We've got dress shoes. We've got tennis shoes. We've got golf shoes. We've got shoes that's coming out of our closet. We've got all sorts of shoes. We've got shoes that are symbols in movies, just like Dorothy's red slippers and just like Cinderella's glass ones. 
We've got iconic shoes, iconic shoes. In 1985, Nike launched the very first Air Jordans. And we've got shoes that people really want. Now, this is a shoe that I begged my mom and dad to get. It was called the Reebok Pump. Now, in 1991, when I was a seventh grade high school student, I begged my mom and dad. I said, I've got to have these shoes. And as I was watching the slam dunk competition, there's a guy by the name of D. Brown. He played for the Boston Celtics. And he wore this during the slam dunk competition. And what he did, just like the picture showed right there, I thought he was bending down to tie his shoes. But he was actually bending down to pump his shoes up. And eventually, he won that slam dunk competition. So I said, Mom and Dad, I've got to have those shoes. And basketball season rolled around, and I got a pair of those. And I was so excited. The very first practice, guess what I did? I tied them, and I pumped them suckers up. And I didn't win any slam dunk competition. I wasn't able to dunk. I guess that's false advertisement. But shoes plays an important role in our lives. And if we look right here at these pictures, on the left-hand side, we see a picture of a first-century Roman soldier. He's all geared up, all armored up, ready for battle. We can see his shoes. On the right-hand side is a picture of what an up-close picture of what his sandals looked like or what his shoes looked like. Now, his shoes was sandal-like. Now, some people might refer to those as boot sandals because you can see they come up a little bit higher like, the, like a boot. They're very breathable. They're made of, some say they're made of, of a, a leather-type material. But it was the bottoms of the shoes that made them really unique. And what made it unique was when they created them, they drove nails in the underside of their sole of the shoe and broke them off so they would be kind of stud, a studded type of, it's like a, a football cleat or a soccer cleat, or if, you, uh, if you've seen track shoes, they have those little spikes on the very bottom of it. It was the sandal or the shoe that allowed those Roman soldiers to stand their ground or stand firm in the midst of battle. So we know that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says over and over to stand firm, over again, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. So in this session, we're going to talk about the piece of equipment that literally helped that Roman soldier to stand firm. So we see this new armor that we're going to go in into this evening. In Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 15, it says, And shoes for your feet 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, some translations may say saddled. Some translations may, may say shod. But either way, it's referring to what you have on. Now, I'm going to ask you a question right here. And I'll give you a second. I'll, I left a, a blank there right beside it. For you personally, what are some reasons you put your shoes on every day? I'll give you a second or so to, to kind of answer that. So what are some reasons that you put your shoes on every day? Protection, you're right. Okay, warmth. So, protecting, that's kind of what Mike was saying, yeah. Okay, so we know that now the shoes of the Roman soldier was a really important piece of armor, really important piece of equipment. And a Roman soldier's shoe, or we're going to refer to those as boot sandals, in Latin, I hope I don't butcher these. In Latin, they're called caligia. Okay? Now, what that means is it's connected. Caligia is connected to the third century or third Roman emperor, Caligula, which means little boot sandals. Now, how he got that name was this. When he was young, he would follow his dad around in a Roman camp. And what he did, he dressed up just like the Roman soldiers. So he had a miniature outfit of what the soldiers were wearing including those little boots, those little boot sandals. And that nickname stuck with him. So, it was on the bottoms of those sandals that made them so important. Like I said, those sandals were heavily studded by nails and that were firmly placed through the sole of the shoe. Now, what that did was it gave those soldiers traction. They, could, they, didn't, they, they didn't slip. They didn't slide. When they were in the midst of battle or when the enemy was attacking, they had proper traction. So, everything about the shoe. Everything about our armor is crafted for warfare. And every piece of our armor, including our shoes, has a purpose. And the purpose for these shoes is to provide stability and mobility. Okay, so every piece of armor, including our shoes, had a purpose. 
the purpose of these shoes was to provide stability and mobility. Now, for stability, if that stable soldier, okay, if the stable soldier was able to stand firm when the enemy was attacking, that's how it provided stability. Now, the same can be for us Christians. A mature Christian is a stable Christian. Now, let me read out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It tells us that we should stand against the schemes of the devil. Those shoes, or our shoes, will give us traction. So when Satan comes to attack you, you won't be swayed away like the world is. You'll have that footing. You'll be able to stand your ground. And that's what God wants you to do in this thing called spiritual warfare is just stand, stand firm. Don't be swayed away like the world is. So when Paul instructs us to put on our shoes, he's talking about the ability to stand firm in a stationary position. So the purpose of the soldier's shoe was stability. Now the purpose of our shoe now is stability. That's how it kind of correlates with one another. Now, if we remember the, what the word shod means from a couple of uh, previous slides, shodding or what you wear creates stability that even Satan can attack. Now, I want to read 1 Corinthians 15:58 and it says, "Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." What's that saying is, don't let nothing move you. Stand Stand firm. Stand your ground. Some of us may know what it's like to be knocked down by Satan. Maybe it's different circumstances. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's something else. These things remove our stability from God. And Satan wants that. Satan wants us to be unstable because when we're unstable, we're always on the defensive. We're always fending off Satan's attacks and not taking the fight to him. So, These shoes, or our shoes, is one way to regain our footing and begin to move from the defensive side to the offensive side. Instead of fending off the attacks, we can start taking the fight to Him. It's not just standing that we're called to do, though. We also have to be 
a mobile Christian. We also have to be a mobile Christian. Mobility. And the mobile Christian can quickly move into battle. Now, we've been instructed to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And the Greek word for gospel is euangelo, euangelin, I'm sorry, which simply means good news. And our idea or the idea is to be ready at all times to share the gospel, to share the good news. Now, the gospel is the start of the Christian life. A lot of Christians, once they are saved, once the day of their salvation, they get that heaven and hell concept. They get it down pat. They get it taken care of. And then they move on with their business. Now, it's true that the gospel is about getting to heaven. But it's also about, it also has a lot to do with earth. Let me ask you a question. How are you going to, how are you going to live the rest of your life here on earth? We should have a desire. We should have a drive to know more about God, to understand Him, to understand God's truth, and share it with others, and to live like Him. Now, at the, at the day of salvation, though, God deposited within each of us a new nature. That is called the Spirit. And everything God has in store for you takes residence in the new Spirit within us. And that spirit is perfect. That, that spirit contains all of God's power, all of God's presence, all of God's peace, and much more. The problem is, your perfect spirit is lodged within your imperfect soul and your imperfect body. That's why growing in Christ is so important. From justification, and we talked about this in Sunday school, from justification to sanctification to glorification. Now, this is the setup for the Christian life. Justification happens when you accept Christ. That's your salvation. You were justified by Christ through faith. Now, sanctification now is constantly growing. It's taking off your old clothes and putting on your new clothes. Glorification, it hasn't happened yet. It happens when it won't happen until we get to heaven. We'll receive those new bodies, though, as it says in Revelation. So that's why it's important to continue to grow in Christ. Because the gospel, 
gives us the stability. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've done wrong in the past, we can, rec- we can return to the core truth. And that core truth is that Jesus died for us, and when He did, He made us new. Now, there's another word that's in verse 15 when we're talking about the shoes. And it's the word readiness. The Greek word readiness means promptness. The Greek word is hematomasia, which means, like I said, speediness or promptness. Now, our goal is to be ready at all times. Be ready for what? Be ready to share the gospel. The shoes for your feet represents the readiness of the gospel. Meaning, it's the gospel that saved you, so why not go out and share it? Now you have, you've got to share it. So, let me read, I think, let me read Luke 14, 23, and also Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Luke 14, 23 says, As Jesus was challenging his disciples, he said to go out in the roads, in the county, lo- uh, county lines, or I'm sorry, county lanes, and tell them to come in. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says what? Therefore, go. So what is our goal now? Our goal is to go out. Go out and share the good news. It's the gospel that saved you. So we've got to go out now and share it with others. Also, Scripture tells us that we should be on duty at all times. 2 Timothy 4.2 says we should be ready in season and out of season. We should be ready to go on duty at all times, to share the gospel. Now, the idea of being ready and willing to move at a moment's notice for those opportunities to share the gospel often comes when we least expect it. So what do we got to do? We've got to make sure that we are ready. My question to you is right now is, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Are you busy with the things of the Lord? Or are you busy with the things of the world? Now, 2 John 2.17 says this right here. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What are you doing? The things of the Lord or the things of the world? 
Now, this really hit me right here. When was the last time that you looked for an opportunity to share the gospel? When was the last time that you actually prayed for an unsaved person by name to come to Christ? Romans 10, 13 through 15 says this right here. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This week, we need to ask, specifically pray, and ask the Lord for the opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. Now, the devil deceives us. So, the devil deceives so many Christians in the world because they focus on this temporary world and they forget to share the gospel for those unsaved people. This week, pray for the opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. If you do that, I guarantee you, he's going to provide the opportunity when you least expect it. Now, the shoes are just not any ordinary shoes. They're the shoes of the gospel. And Don't keep the gospel to yourself. Share it. You use your earthly shoes. You wouldn't go out running without running shoes. You wouldn't go out jogging without any type of shoes either. You won't go to work tomorrow whenever without your work shoes or whatever you wear to work. So when it comes to your spiritual journey... Are you walking without your shoes? Now, we've, we've looked at several words in the last couple of weeks. We've, tonight, we've looked at stability, mobility. The very first or second session, we looked at truth. Last week, we looked at righteousness. This week, we're going to look at peace. It's the gospel that can bring you real peace. Paul said that you should have your shoes on for stability and mobility. Now, to experience that victory, to experience that victory in spiritual warfare... You need to understand what God's peace is and the peace of God. Now, the definition of peace is this right here. 
amid any difficult circumstances, whatever you're going through in life, difficult things, calm and tranquility. You have that of the soul amid these difficult circumstances. So that's the definition of peace. Now, the, the Greek word... is irony. And most people have heard the word shalom before. So that word is equivalent to shalom. If you didn't think that peace is important, it occurs over 400 times in the Bible. Now, there are two types of peace that the, that the Bible describes. You have the peace of God, and you have the peace with God. So the two different types of peace is the peace with God and the peace of God. Now, if, if you try to live outside the relationship with God, living in the world, no way that you can develop or that you can achieve a deep peace in your life. But if you trust in Him with everything, you can achieve that peace in your life. So, Romans 5.1 says this right here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. That was Romans 5.1. That's the peace with God. Now, the Bible also describes the peace of God. Now, on more than one occasion... On more than one occasion, Jesus tells his disciples that there's a peace available to them, calm in their hearts, no matter what the circumstance is. I want you to listen to these two promises in John 14, 27, and in John 16, 33. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 13 or 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, that's the peace of God. But, that's the peace of God. But the opposite now of peace that we're going to see is fear and anxiety. Now, the opposite of peace is fear and anxiety. Now, 
There may be some of you this evening that is living in the life of fear or living in the life of, of being anxious or anxiety. God doesn't want you to live that way. I want to read John 16, in just one second, but you need to know that the devil will use your fear, will use your anxiety to distract you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through tough times. You're going to go through tribulations. But John 16.33 says, I have overcome the world because of that godly peace. And godly peace means that even when everything else is going wrong, you have that peace. Now, there may be thunder, there may be lightning in your life, nothing looks good, all is dark, but it's in that situation, it's in that situation where true godly peace is going to win that battle. Now, I want to read out of the Victory and Spiritual Warfare book that Tony Evans talks about what peace is in some circumstances. Perhaps you'll remember the story of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who exhibited an extraordinary amount of peace, even, the face, even in the face of tremendous difficulty. King Nebuchadnezzar knew how to throw a party, especially if the party was for himself. He certainly had no shortage of ego, for he erected an enormous statue and then called together people of every nation and language to fall down and worship his image. It was a, trib it was a great tribute to a man in his, in his own eyes had gone beyond mere humanity. On penalty of death, he demanded worship from his kingdom, and that's a problem. Three men refused to let some pompous, arrogant person steal the glory that is reserved for God alone. They stand in the midst of a crowd who bows, and that action earns them a one-way trip to the hottest furnace in the land. The thought of being burned alive in a furnace so hot that it will eventually kill the guards who got close to it definitely qualifies as a peace-robbing circumstance. In the face of such a turn of events, these men would have good reason to be doubtful, fearful, and even angry. Instead, we find an incredible confidence both in the power of God and the wisdom of God. Both are necessary to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God was more than powerful enough to deliver them from their circumstances. But they were also convinced that God was wise enough to know just how that deliverance should be best happen. Notice that God didn't keep the boys from the fire. They were thrown in. In fact, God allowed the king to light the furnace seven times hotter than normal. In the same way, God allows us to walk through fires. He doesn't always change our situations and circumstances, though he is more powerful enough to do so. Instead of changing their circumstances, God joined them in the fire. The passage tells us that three men were thrown in the furnace, 
But when the king went to watch them burn, he saw four unbound and walking in the fire. Now, when your feet is firmly planted, God is powerful enough to deliver you in whatever circumstance that you're going through. He's going to be there. He's going to be there with you in that furnace. He's going to join you in those situations. And by joining, by Him joining you, He's going to give you that peace that you need. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 says, It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you the peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. So he's going to join you, whatever you're going through, he's going to join you in that furnace. Now, as we finish up, we're going to talk about how do we put these shoes on. Isaiah 26.3 gives us this perfect prescription for how we strap on our shoes. It says, You keep him in perfect places whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God wants your mind to be saturated with the truth. You need to get away from the stuff, from stuffing your mind with all the ugliness in the world. And ugliness, maybe it's something that you're watching. Maybe it's something that you're listening to. Max Licato said this. He said, you can pick what you think about. You didn't select your birthday. You didn't choose your parents or siblings. You didn't determine the amount of salt in the ocean or the amount of water in the ocean. There are so many things in life where you have no choice, but you can choose what you think about. Think about what you think about. And when your mind agrees with God's mind, which is the standard, you're going to access God's power for victory in spiritual warfare. Now, are you, are you thinking about God's truth, or what are you thinking about? What is saturating your mind? Is it God's truth or something in the world? Is it the ugliness of the world? Trusting, trusting God produces peace. Let's say, let's say you lost your job, and... Nothing is going right. Nobody's going to call you back. You, you've got to pay your house payment. You've got to feed your kids. You've got to pay your power bill. All these circumstances will make you worry, will fill you with worry and anxiety. But putting on these shoes of peace involves looking past these circumstances 
to what you know to be true about God. Now, let me read Romans 8, 32. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God loved us enough to give up his son, how can, he, how can we doubt that he's going to continue to provide for us and our needs? We can't doubt that. So, choose to trust and base your trust on the proven love of God for you. Meditate on God's Word. Trust in it. Let that truth sink down in your heart. And every attack on peace in your life needs to be taken to the spiritual realm. And we talked about that the very first night. And, re and be replaced with what God says about that matter. These shoes will let the demonic realm, yourself, and others know that you are covered by God's armor. As we finish up, here's what we need to do this week. We need to, whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance that you're going through, we need to make sure that we pray scriptural truth about your life circumstances. And if you do that, you're going to walk without becoming weary, and you'll find that common power of peace, which is God's peace. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about the very first armor or the, the, the very first piece of armor that you should be putting on as needed, which is the shield of faith. It's 550. In Let's spite break of what's coming against you because of the peace that the gospel promises. This is not merely peace with God. It is the peace of God. It is the sense of well-being and wholeness that God gives you, which allows you to hold your ground without stumbling and falling in spite of what's coming against you. It is your ability to progress in the midst of adversity. Peace is calm in spite of trouble. It is strength in spite of attack. God has given in the gospel our unique relationship to him a sense of wholeness and completeness that holds us steady even when the boats of our lives appear to be rocking. So let's find out about these shoes that will hold us stable and keep us grounded in the midst of the conflict we are facing.
comes to verse 15, our verse for the day, and he wants to talk about your shoes. He wants to talk about your shoes. He's moved from your belt to your breastplate, which is the heart, heart of righteousness, heart to please the Lord, heart to move in the way the truth has directed you, and now he wants to talk about your shoes. This is a day of shoes. There are shoes for everything. They're dress shoes. There are casual shoes. There are a million kind of athletic shoes. There are shoes that you put on your feet appropriate to every occasion. I am sure most of the ladies in here have a wardrobe full of shoes. Shoes all over the place designed to adorn your feet. Guess what Paul wants you to know? Paul says in verse 14, there are shoes that if you wear them and don't take them off will address a major issue of spiritual warfare in your life. He says in verse 15, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod means what you have on. He says on your feet ought to be some footwear and this footwear is preparation for the gospel of peace. The Greek word for preparation means readiness. You will be ready for the devil if you got your shoes on. You will be ready for his attacks if you're wearing your shoes. He says if your feet are shod, you will be in readiness. You will be prepared to deal with the enemy, but you got to have your shoes on. Now, to understand why he is saying this, you have to understand that the Roman soldier had what most football, what all football players have, they had cleeks. They had spikes that emanated out of their shoes and the purpose of the spike in the Roman soldier's shoe was to give him sure footing. It was to keep him from going James Brown, slipping and sliding. It was to keep him mobile. It was to keep him stationary in battle and in conflict so he was not easily knocked over, so he was not evilly dismantled because the clique, the, the, the spikes that came out of the bottom of the shoe gave him sure footing when he was under attack because we're talking about spiritual warfare. So when the Roman soldier was under attack, the, 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 the spike, the clique, would give him footing so that the enemy would not knock him down, knock him over, would not remove him from his place of stability. When he says, have your feet shod, he is talking about positioning yourself in a stationary position so when the devil comes, which he calls the evil day in this passage, he can't knock you over. He can't knock you off of your feet. He can't he can't, he can't knock you out and knock you down because what you have on you is stationary. It has sunk itself in deep, giving you a stationary position or sure-footedness in order to keep him from knocking you over. Many people here this morning knows what it is. I know what it is. You know what it is at various levels to be knocked over by the evil one. You've been knocked over. Your, your, your circumstances have knocked you over. Your situation has knocked you over. Other people have knocked you over. Your finances have knocked you over. Your job situation has knocked you over. It has removed you from your place of stability. 
Your sure-footedness has slipped. You have slipped and slid because you were not able to hold on to the turf. He has told us over and over again, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. He now tells us at 15, you can't stand firm without shoes on. You need shoes on, you need shoes with cliques to hold you steady when you're under attack. So what he wants to do is create, here it is, stability. He wants to create sure-footedness. He doesn't want you sliding. He wants you steady. He wants you holding on to the ground. He wants you solidified in the turf. He wants you, he, he wants you holding on under attack because this is a war frame, under attack. I wish I could tell you, now that you know Jesus, you won't be attacked. But that's a lie. We know it's a lie. Ain't nothing but a lie from hell because sometimes you haven't seen hard tell you met Jesus. Because once you meet Jesus, you are now under attack. Now, now let me tell you the essence of the attack, and we'll deal with this, 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 this shoe that you're supposed to be wearing. The essence of the attack of, of, of the spiritual realm, Satan and demons, the essence of the attack is to keep God's purposes, will, provision, blessings from being manifested in your life. The purpose of his war, now that you're saved, he can't take away your salvation, but he can sure make you a miserable Christian. So since he can't take away your salvation, what he does want is to keep your salvation from working for you. Now he can't keep you out of heaven, but he can make you have hell on earth by keeping what has happened to you when you accepted Christ from being manifested in your reality. So that's his goal in spiritual warfare to keep you in defeat and to keep you playing defense. He doesn't want you in an offense position, but we're going to change the side of the ball we're on. He says, I want you to put on the shoes, and what is this pair of shoes you and I are supposed to be wearing? We started with truth, God-based knowledge, objective, absolute reality in its original form, God-based form. We go to right decision-making, rightness, in light of the truth that I learned. He now says, put on some shoes, and these shoes are, or is, the gospel of peace. He says, the shoes I want you to wear under attack is the gospel of peace. Let's talk about peace. All of us know the opposite of peace, anxiety, worry. That's the opposite of peace. So if you don't know what peace is, if you know what worry is, not doing that. That's peace, okay? The biblical definition of peace is calm and tranquility of soul. Peace is calm and tranquility of soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. Let me give you that definition again. The biblical definition of arene, the Greek word for peace, is calm and tranquility of soul despite external turmoil. Two painters one day were asked to paint a picture of peace in a contest. And they wanted to see they were going to win $1,000 for whoever painted the best picture of peace. The first painter painted his picture, and oh, what a serene portrait it was. It was a picture of a lake, 
The sun was glistening off of the lake so you could see the, the shine across the water. The water was still. The painting included a shepherd walking sheep by this serene lake. Trees were on the side of the lake with birds in them. And it was a picture of calm and tranquility and ease and peace. What a great picture. The second gentleman came out with his portrait and it wasn't like the first one. The sky was pitch black. Lightning was shooting through. The thunder was roaring. The waves on the water were billowing up and down. Boats that were on the water were being tossed about. Trees were blowing in the wind horrifically. It was a portrait of disaster. But in the corner, all the way at the bottom, on the left-hand side of the portrait, right there at the edge of this horrific circumstance in life was a little bird standing on a rock with its mouth open, with songs coming out of its mouth, and one little light coming from the darkness of the cloud shining down on the bird as it sung in the midst of its darkness. When they made the decision about the portrait, they said the second man won with the dark surroundings because that's biblical peace. Biblical peace is when nothing's wrong, I'm calm. When nothing's wrong, you're supposed to be calm. Something wrong with you if nothing's wrong and you're worried. If nothing's wrong and you're anxious, you have issues. Biblical peace is when everything is wrong. There is thunder and lightning and the winds blowing and circumstances are against you and nothing looks right and you're still singing. It's when nothing should be creating a song and you still have a song. It's when there is tranquility on the inside despite chaos on the outside. It's when things are at ease when trouble is all around. You don't know whether you have biblical peace until things are not peaceful. The only way you got biblical peace as opposed to peace that anybody would have when everything's okay is because all hell is broke loose and you're still singing. Guess what the Bible calls that? It calls it a peace that passes understanding. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, the peace that God gives is a peace you don't understand. And the reason you don't understand it is because based on the situation, you shouldn't be peaceful right now. So why am I singing when there is no song? Why am I calm when everything's chaotic? Why can I be stable when everything around me is trouble? Because God has given me a peace that passes understanding. Because I don't even understand why I'm singing right now. So nobody else understands why I'm calm right now. Nobody else understands why when I lost my job, I didn't lose my mind. 
Nobody else understands why when there's no money in the bank, I'm still praising the Lord for his provision. Nobody else understands why the doctor gave me a bad prognosis and I'm still laying here blessing the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, I'm blessing his holy name. Nobody else understands why when, 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 when my world is falling apart, I'm not falling apart with it because you got a peace that passes understanding. That's peace in the Bible. In fact, so important is this peace, this calm, that Colossians 3 verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. The Greek word for rule means umpire. What does an umpire do in a baseball game? Ball, strikes. He calls it. That's what an umpire does. He calls it. If it's a ball, calls the ball. If it's a strike, calls it a strike. And guess what? Whatever he calls it, that's the way it is. He makes the call. Let the peace of God make the call in your life. Now, why do you need to know that? Because life is full of decisions and choices. Life is full of, you know, do I go this way? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? He says, once you've aligned with truth, you found God's view on a matter. Once you've now begun to do righteousness based on the truth, let the peace of God make the call. In other words, God will show you what to do once you're operating on the truth you know by giving you a calm about the decision. He will calm your heart by the Holy Spirit, giving you peace. Sometimes you'll look at a situation and all the facts may line up, but you'll say, but I just don't feel right about it. Something not right about this. Something, something that God hasn't released me. I do not have peace or calm about this thing. You always hold up where there is no peace. Because what he says is, I want your feet. And remember the Greek word is to have, is the, the verb is to have, meaning don't ever take these shoes off. You are to flow in peace once you've picked up truth and righteousness. Peace is to be your flow. Okay, now. Now, let me explain something here. If peace is not your normal way of operating, you're out of sync spiritually. Let me, put it, let me say it another way. If worry is your normal way of operating, if worry is your modus operandi, if anxiety is how you roll, you just go from one worry to another, one anxiousness to another, and that's how you roll. You're not wearing your shoes. You're going out with no shoes on. You're supposed to roll with peace, not roll with worry. So the mere fact that worry, now everybody has moments of worry because we still live in our flesh, but I'm talking about what's normative for you. Is peace normative or is worry and anxiety normative? If worry and anxiety is normative, then that means you are not wearing your shoes. But don't worry, because I'm going to tell you how to put your shoes on and how to tie them up, okay? But I just want to get this straight. Peace is to be the normal ruling operative program in your life. John 14, verse 27. John 14, verse 27. Jesus is getting ready to go into a very non-peaceful situation. and getting ready to be crucified. Guess what Jesus says on his way to be crucified? He turns to his disciples in John 14, 27, and he says, 
peace I leave with you. He says, and then he goes deeper. He says, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives you peace. See, the world can give you peace momentarily. Okay? The world can give you peace in the form of a pill. They give you pill-popping peace. Okay? They, they, the world will give you pill-popping peace. The world will give you peace in the form of an ejection. Okay? The world will give you peace in the form of Prozac. The world will give you peace... Okay, you know, the world will give you the, the world will give you peace in form of entertainment. If I get entertained, then for two hours, three hours, I want to think about how miserable I am. Because it'll be so the world will give you peace. But here is the difference between the peace God gives and the peace the world gives. The peace the world gives is outside in. It's something they do outside that you put in here that makes you feel better temporarily. Jesus says, that is not the peace I'm talking about. Peace I leave with you, and the peace that I leave with you will be my peace. And what kind of peace do you have? Peace that can even handle a cross, because he's on his way to be crucified. Peace that can handle you getting ready to be slain, that's the peace, because I'm getting ready to go to the cross, and I'm chilling. They get ready to put crown of thorns in my head, and I'm, I'm cool. You know, I don't prefer it. I don't like it. Let this cup pass from me, but we're going to roll with it. He says, that's the kind of peace I want you to have. And that's the kind of peace I want to be normal for you. Not showing up every now and then. Worry should show up every now and then. Anxiety should show up every now and then. Peace you're supposed to roll with as long as you leave your shoes on. Okay? So he says, put on or have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Jesus said in another place, he says in John 16, he says, um, uh, that peace I leave with you in this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world now in order to overcome something you got to have something to overcome that's why peace is always tied to you overcoming something so many things go wrong in a day in a week in a month in a year some of it you have control of it some of it you have absolutely no control of and if and, and it'll send you spinning so hear me out now. How do you put the shoes on, tie, lace them up, and don't take them off? He tells you. Have your feet shod with the preparation, here it is, of the gospel of peace. Peace that Jesus is giving away, he says, is in the gospel. Okay, follow me now. Peace that Jesus is giving away is in the gospel. Let me say that again. Peace that Jesus is giving away is not in a pill, not in a shot, not in your homies, not in your favorite television program, not in the movies, not in a vacation, not in more money, not in a better job. That's the world's peace. He says, the peace that I am talking about that you wear on your feet, that hold you stable, regardless of external situations, is in the gospel. He calls it the gospel of peace. So to understand the peace that Jesus is talking about, you got to understand the gospel. So let's go back to the gospel. 
The Greek word for gospel is the word huangelion. That's how it's pronounced. Huangelion is simply translated good news. So I got some good news for you. The good news of peace. Now watch this. You stick with me now because we get ready to go deep sea diving. Okay? The good news of peace. The, the huangelion, the gospel, this word is used a whole lot in the New Testament. But it was rarely ever used outside of the New Testament, either in classical Greek or Koine Greek. Koine Greek means the Greek of the common people. So classical Greek was the more sophisticated Greek. Koine Greek was Greek of the everyday folk. Okay? The word gospel is rarely found in classical or Koine Greek, but it's all over the New Testament. Why didn't they use it much? Because the word gospel in the normal Greek dialect and dialogue and Greek speaking to people would only be used when the good news was so good it was too good to be true. So they didn't use this word. I mean, it's like going around talking about supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I mean, that's just not something you do. You know, that's not a normal used word. Well, they wouldn't use euangelion too often because the news had to be so good, it had to be too good to be true. Yet in the Gospels and in the epistles, it's gospel, 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 gospel. Why? Because the good news is too good to be true. So the question is, what's the good news then? That's so good that it's too good to be true. Well, we all know that the gospel refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our substitute for our sins. We know that. We know that. And we know that when a person trusts Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of eternal life, they are forgiven for time and eternity for sin. We know that. Okay? And that means we are saved or born again. I'm saved, but I don't live with peace. I live with worry. Well, here's the problem. You either don't believe or understand the gospel. Or I don't believe or understand the gospel. And here's the problem. Most Christians apply the gospel only to what it takes to get to heaven. See, we only apply the gospel to getting saved so that I don't go to hell and I go, I go to live with Jesus Christ forever. That's just the part of the gospel. The gospel has a bunch to do with earth. I love Romans 5, verses 5 to 10. Read it when you get a chance. He says, you know, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. But then he says, if we were saved by his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? In other words, we saved for heaven by his death. But he says when he rose from the dead and went up to heaven and seated on the right hand of the Father, he's delivering you for life. We know the gospel because of the death. What we have missed is the gospel of the life. That's why I love Philippians 4, 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in all things through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And, and it says, and watch this now, I love this. And when you go to God during those worrisome moments, watch this, it says, Philippians 4, 7 says, go with thanksgiving. 
Why does he tell you to go with thanksgiving? Okay, watch this. You don't want to miss this. This is sweet. Because when God deposited the spiritual seed in you, it's like an acorn. All the oak is already located. In other words, you don't have to infuse anything into an acorn to help it become an oak. Once it's planted in the right location, it will become an oak because all the oak is already in the acorn. All the God is already in the spirit. You don't have to add God to God to get God. All the God you're ever going to get is already there. So when you go to God and say, I have a need, I have a situation, I have a circumstance, what I'm giving thanks for is that the answer has already been deposited in the spiritual realm. Lord, I got this problem, but you talked about this answer. That answer has already been deposited, so I want to thank you, even though I don't see it manifested yet, that it's going to be manifested because the Spirit already houses it. It's already there. See, that's why I can give thanks, and you can give thanks even in tough times because God has already answered in advance in the Spirit. Your goal isn't to try to get something new. Your goal is to draw out what God has already deposited. It's a change of direction. Look, submarines don't have to get nervous in a storm because they're going deep. Fish, fish, fish don't have um, nerve attacks when it's storming because they know storms, or as bad as storms get, they will only get 25 feet below sea level on the worst day. So they go 26 feet. In other words, they go deep when things get chaotic. When your world gets chaotic, that's the time to go deep. That's the time to dip down. That's the time to say, okay, God, you sending me to the spirit realm where there's calm down there. There's peace down there. There's cool down there. I can chill down there because down there is the perfect mind of God in the spirit. But we retreat out there to that which can't give us real peace, only world peace. Put on your shoes and don't take them off. Don't take them off. This is something you keep on you at all times in all situations. Don't take them off. Isaiah 26.3 says, And you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. When your mind agrees with God's mind, you will get God's spiritual results. And then you'll know you've just experienced God. Oh, I love the story of the three Hebrew boys. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They got fired, and I do mean fire. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar said, we're firing you. When they heard the bad news, now you're talking about something that will take away your peace. You're getting ready to be burned alive. That'll take away your peace. They looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, oh, Nebi, Nebi, we do not have to be concerned about answering you according to this matter. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your furnace of burning fire. And then it went on to say, but even if he doesn't, 
we're not going to bow before your gods. Nebuchadnezzar got so ticked off that he told them to light the furnace and make it seven times hotter than it normally is because he was upset that they didn't quiver at the threat. They were thrown in. See, following God doesn't mean you don't hit the fire. They were thrown in. After a while, Nebuchadnezzar came up and looked inside. He looked inside and said, what is this? We put in three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We tied them up. I'm looking through this glass and I see four men. And they're all walking around in the fire. Full of peace, full of calm, in a bad situation. That's because there was a fourth person in the fire. God joined them in it. Let me explain something to you. God's not going to join the world to help you out. He's not going to, you going out there and you calling on God and praying to God so God can come out here to the world to give you the peace. Because God would be compromising his peace to join their peace. But if you will take your stand with the mind of God, the God of peace all by himself will show up in the fires of life and take off the ropes, take off the chains and give you peace. They were under fire. There's somebody in here today and you're under fire. You've lost your job. Listen. Don't panic. Run to the spirit realm. Run. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen that seed begging bread. And you hold on to what God said and watch what God does. Some of you were fired from your job and you don't know where your new job is. Well, you run back to the spirit realm and say, God, you said that if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. I'm willing to work so I can eat. So I thank you for the job you're already preparing that hasn't become manifest yet. You go back to the spirit realm. Every time Satan wants to remove your peace, you look down at your feet, you hold your ground, you connect with the spirit world so that you let this world know that that world is telling you what to do. And he will give you a peace that passes understanding.